I think there's something about that when you really lean in to the form that you're working in so that be that a website be that an audio piece whatever it is and you allow that and bring your theatricality to that I think really exciting things can happen That's Ruby Thompson Ruby is Artistic Director of The Herd a theatre company in Hull in the north of England The Herd have been collaborating with Stand and Be Counted another theatre company based in Bradford also in the north of England Together, the two companies have created an audio walk adventure called Hidden Winter. Hidden Winter follows eight-year-old Heber, a mischievous cat, and a trail of winter clothes in a story celebrating the joys and difficulties of making friends in a new place. In this podcast, the creative team behind Hidden Winter tell me about the joys and difficulties of adapting their theatre and storytelling skills to reach audiences during the pandemic's lockdowns and restrictions. It's a process that's presented lots of opportunities for learning new skills and for doing theatre in a different way. I'm Jerome Whittingham and my guests are Ruby Thompson, Artistic Director of The Herd, Rosie McPherson, Artistic Director of Stand and Be Counted, and Firas Chihi, narrator and translator of Hidden Winter. Hello. Hi. It's good to <laughs> see you. It's good to see you from various parts of the north of England. Let's start with Rosie. The piece that you've produced, Hidden Winter, yes. is a, a, an audio piece, but mm-hmm. it's had quite a long development. And at the beginning of the process, you weren't expecting this piece to be. Uh, an audio story piece. Tell me then something about the the long development to get to where you are now. That's right. This, I mean, the initial idea for Hidden Winter came about, I think, almost at the start of lockdown one. Um, we were really excited by the idea of working with The Herd because uh, SBC hadn't made a family production before. So, um, and we're massive fans of The Herd. So we're really keen to work together. And we were excited by something that could would feel live and would be interactive uh, that we pitched to Bradford Producing Hub. There's been, I think there's probably been about seven versions of this show at this stage. Um, we've gone from having a like live trail that people would uh, interact with, with installations and QR codes for videos and stuff on big screens taking over the city centre squares. Uh, There's been all sorts of different um, options that we've kind of had to adapt to each time the pandemic has presented a different tier or a different just setup. Um, And with that, I guess, came like, let's plan three different versions every time we do this just to be on the safe side. Because whatever happens, we know that we want to make this project and we have to make it work. Um, Because I think that's one of the big things from SBC and I'm sure for the herd as well is that we we can't stop engaging with our participants. We can't stop the work that we do. Um, We are a point of support. So to be able to make work with participants that they can see is definitely going to happen and have a life has been really uh, important and crucial in keeping us going. Ruby, what are your thoughts about um, what was originally planned and what you've come up with? 
Yeah, first, that was great, Rosie. Thank you. That was a uh, took me back. <laughs> I remembered so yeah. much. There. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about the big screens. Yeah, at one point it was like we were going to have. Um, yeah, so it was going to be. Okay, I'll start from the beginning. So we were going to originally. Um, yeah, as we said, we came to the idea of we need to. We want to make a a winter show, something for families in winter, um, that was different to the usual offer that theatres might be putting out. That was maybe. Um, yeah, just a bit different and more inclusive of other, of other people's experiences and other voices that weren't necessarily English um, and Christian. Um, so that was like kind of the, the starting point. But it was it was kind of a show, wasn't it, Rosie? It was going to be yeah, like, you know, in a theatre in some way, or it was, that was that was the that was the end goal, and with with a group of performers. And but we always knew it was going to be made by some children and families. We knew that bit, and that hasn't changed throughout, which is great. <laughs> and sanctuary um, seekers, it was yes. always. Yeah, family from the sanctuary seeking community in Bradford, which the SBC have uh, amazing links to, and that's like the bulk of their work and their audiences who they work with and who they make work for. Um, so we knew that was that was that was a set in stone and hasn't changed. But yeah, then went through all this different process, as Rosie said. Well, I think with within that, like now where we're at now, I can't imagine it not being an audio piece, which only happened on the third, the fourth of January. We had like an emergency phone call because of lockdown three. And by that point, yeah, we'd had quite a lot of things in place for this installation in Bradford City Centre with the big screen being one of them. So one of our like scenes was going to take place with the animation on a, on a big screen. Um, and then there was other bits that was going to be an installation in a shop. Um, so the idea was we'd like kind of made it so it's an outdoor walk, but it was kind of still live and interactive elements. But but that, yeah, that happened very quickly. We were like, no, that can't happen. And it became an audio play. And then within a week, it was like, oh, no, this this can work. This is this yeah. is going to be yeah. This is going to be this can actually really work, and the same structure can work. And instead of being, instead of it being that you come across something, we ask the audience to move on their own. So but now it's kind of a we start in our homes, mm-hmm. then we ask them to set off and go to their park, and then we introduce different locations around the park, and we get them to move uh, in between. So it became once we moved the kind of the firm location of being in Bradford City Centre, we got rid of that idea. Mm-hmm. Actually, the story still kind of existed and would still make sense. Uh, in these in this kind of adapted way but obviously then we had to change the script again and change things and, and and make a lot of decisions around that but um but yeah as I said now I can't imagine it not being it kind of it is it is completely an audio piece now isn't it Rosie yeah um, I mean there was going to be a flash mob at one point and I don't know what we were thinking <laughs> you can't do that yeah but I think that's like the instinct of the fact that I can't remember all the many versions of it shows that this is actually the right one which is brilliant so this is a, a sort of site specific piece of theater without being specific to a site <laughs> is that right am i getting this right <laughs> yeah uh, yeah kind of yeah yeah so, so were you trying to create your own site yeah yeah so it could yeah. be anybody's park anywhere it does it's not making well reference, yeah one of the big reference. drivers for us is that um particularly for asylum seekers and refugees in the pandemic a lot of people got placed somewhere new and then lockdown happened so they don't actually know their areas very well yet and they haven't had the opportunity to explore uh, so this felt like a a fun exciting way to get people to explore their local park and also it means that people who are very used to their local park and very used to having that hour of exercise and just doing the same route Hopefully, it's a different, um, a more adventurous uh, way to do that usual walk around your park every day. Okay, let, let's bring in Firas. 
So, Firas, you're the narrator of the piece, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so what other involvement have you had with the development of the piece? Have you been key to helping the communication and discussion between the theatre groups and the wider community? So basically, if you know, like we are doing this work in Arabic and English. So I had like, uh, sometimes they asked me about how would this sound in Arabic? Because, you know, if you, tr- if you change something from English into, in, into Arabic, it doesn't give the same feeling. It doesn't give like the same, you know, the same meaning. So we worked on that and uh, I hope we got like the best results on, uh, on the story and it will give like the best meaning in both in both languages. And also, I think uh, from the work, I have been working with, with them like on, on Hidden Winter since the start of it. And uh, I saw like the impact in, in the kids and the families every week. And this will be like kind of a result for them after after all the weeks that they have been like coming into the sessions and enjoying like the Zoom calls. And I think that they may enjoy it a lot. I see. I see. So, so tell me something then, uh, Ruby and Rosie, about the engagement process. How do you engage? How do you whittle down what you receive from that engagement process into, into a story like you've got? So yeah, basically we had no idea what the story was, what the world was, what the um, limitations of, of anything were. So it, it, then what we've got now is a very human story, a very like relatable story about a child's experience. But it might not have been that. Like it could have been about, I don't know, pirates and unicorns and any like anything. And um, we just started with the idea of it being winter. We're like, what because we know our stories about winter and we know what story what um experiences we have in winter, but we were like, we'll just start with winter as a, as, a, as an exploration. So we just kind of explored the feeling of being cold. Um, and we played games with like, how would we make a den in winter? Or if we were like, what how do we describe a world that is winter? Like we just started really basically. And then from that, sort of little little nuggets of ideas emerged or characters emerged. But obviously, we were working with was it we were working with families over over a period of time, and some people would come to every session, some people would come to two sessions. So it was also a factor of like how do you listen and how do you build something that's that's able to listen and, and isn't just like one person's complete voice. So what we have now is um, definitely we took inspiration about these ideas and characters and then formed something that fits together and hangs together. So we as artists have definitely like curated at those responses and those ideas. But what was quite nice is on the first draft of the scripts that Rosie and Sam and had written, uh, it was almost like uh, an annotated essay. They had like these little lines to uh, where the, that where that idea came from or that that exact line came from. And a child, it's like an eight year old said this, and it's like it's annotated in the script. So it's like fundamentally embedded embedded in what what we now have. But we had to sort of shape it because so, so that everyone could have a voice, if you see what I mean, as opposed to listen to the the person who was there and spoke the loudest <laughs> throughout. Rosie, what we missed? Yeah, well, exactly that. Nailed it. <laughs> um, and I think as well, like, because you're doing these workshops that you you want people to just come and enjoy. And, you know, we, we are making a, a a project out of these workshops, but like just come and have a nice Saturday morning with us and and get to know us. And, and that's something that we hope that we can just carry on as, you know, regular sessions going forward. Um, but yeah, like to be led by all the imaginations of kids and, you know, this cat that just won't leave us alone and these pirates and just the ideas that they would come up with that you then just feel so precious about and 
want to find a way to to make sure that they can all be placed within the narrative and actually quite naturally it became about a girl that was new and was trying to make friends and that's felt very driven by um those children's experience of being new and of making friends and and feels lovely and relatable even though it's it's something that's very unique to every individual uh, so that's that's been really fun and uh, I think both companies uh, are our practices naturally led by the people that we work with. So the, there's never an agenda. We might consider a theme and go, okay, well, let's look at winter as a theme. But very much then it's about us facilitating what they want to say and what their ideas are. Has this process, Rosie, flagged up any other um, stories that you want to run with and go forward with? So that that always happens. I think SBC. I don't. I mean, I don't think I've had an idea for years now because every project we work on, everyone's like, "Oh, what about this? Let's do that." And and we have our, our participants, people taking part in workshops, like pitching ideas to us, which is amazing. Um, and it was really exciting to be able to have Firaz stepping up as a performer. <laughs> I mean, I think maybe we twisted your arm a bit, but you're just so naturally gifted, and and it's given us so many ideas. Really? Of- uh, to be honest, that was my first time, like, like the first time ever. I've never thought I would do that in my life. To be honest, <laughs> and I was a bit stressed about it, but hopefully it worked well. Oh, that, that's <laughs> so amazing. That's fascinating. So, Firas, you don't have a, a, an arts and performing arts background? No, no, not at all. Is this something then you want to develop? Or are you are you going to want to continue, um, you know, taking part in the development process for a theatre show and the like? Yes, I think so. To be honest, and especially working with like with Rosie and Robbie and Sam and all the team, I really enjoy working with them and seeing like the impact that they have on those kids and the families and even like the parents. It feels just really good, and they really want to be a part of this. So hopefully. Yeah, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> you have a new member. You have a new yes. member to SPC. Well done. So, uh, Ruby, I've seen The Herd developing other shows in the last couple of years or so. I've been lucky enough to photograph some of your rehearsals and your performances. And there's always yeah. a great playfulness with what you do. <laughs> but when you're performing on stage or performing to an audience, it's very easy, isn't it, to sort of direct their playful interaction with you. How have you managed to instill that same sense of playfulness that the herd is renowned for? How have you managed to instill that into an audio piece? What an amazing question. Um, I think that, yeah, there's one thing about working in a new form. You said about, you know, about how liberating this, as well as all the problems we've had, how liberating things can be. There's something been really nice about working in a brand new form, like an audio piece is not something I've ever done before. And in a way, because I'm such a novice, quite liberating you sort of feel like you just have other ideas but equally you sort of realize how similar uh, a lot of the you know storytelling is storytelling and, and, and same kind of rules that apply and if you're just thinking about the experience of the the audience listening and what they would get out of it and what what yeah how, how we can make it playful for them there's a lot of similar stuff that can kind of cross over both both forms quite naturally so something we've got is firas um as well as reading the story of our main character speaks to directly to our listener and gets them to uh, encourages them to like, join in in some ways. But the encouragement is never like you have to do it. And we also made sure that the turn of that wasn't like asking them to do things that were just 
embarrassing or ridiculous or doing it for the sake of it. It's always like suggestions or gentle offers. And the idea being that they can play along or they can leave it and do what they want. And that would actually be quite fun if they want to go against us. That's absolutely fine as well. So it's kind of like anything goes. I think the real shame will be us not ever like seeing how how it how it happens, how it works you know, in performance. We, um, we're going to do a, a session with our families that helped make it after they've had a ton chance to do it themselves. So we'll, we'll hear some snippets and hopefully, you know, hear some experiences, but it's such a different thing to literally watching, isn't it? Maybe I'll just like go stand in some parks. I'm not allowed to because of lockdown, am I? Damn it. <laughs> so maybe I'll just go stand in, in some parks and just, just hope someone comes along. Because, yeah, that would be really lovely to see how people respond. I also kind of love the fact that we have no idea how people take things. There's something kind of magical and amazing about that is that you can completely, we've spent so much time thinking about a sentence or thinking about how an action would be, would happen. And then they might do something completely different or just like not do it. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. It's like, yeah, we're, we're not in charge at all. This is your experience in your way. It's like ultimate participatory work, isn't it? It's like completely yours. So is this a piece that uh, people perform engage with individually can they engage as a group great question rosie do you want to answer that well we're hoping that um families will do it together you can if you can listen on a set of headphones or if you're feeling really brave and you just want to have it on your phone or your device as you're wondering about um, I'd, I'd be quite happy to hear someone in a park listening to fear ads going go and swing your arms around <laughs> have fun um but yeah so we're, we're hoping that this is um, a fun family activity that is also um, the kids are in charge with this one. So the adults need to be paying close attention to what, what the kids are telling them they need to be doing. And there's also a, a really gorgeous activity pack that goes along with the, the audio story walk. So hopefully that's a way that um, the audience can share how they experienced it with us um, and also more, more fun things for people to do at home. We'll make sure uh, that we share any links to these resources when in the show notes. So uh, do check out any links in the show notes if you're listening in. Uh, now we've heard that Firas has taken on a new skill, learned a new skill. He's now got the bug for the performing arts as a performer himself. But uh, Rosie and Ruby, what have you learned during the development process for the show um, that you didn't expect you'd be needing to learn but that you might want to take forward? I, for for us, it's been so. SBC makes campaign theatre, and we're always we work so closely with sanctuary seekers, and by sanctuary seekers, I mean refugees and asylum seekers, people new to the UK. Um, and it's really important that um, those people are leading whatever the project is, and that we're making sure more people are engaging with and understanding. Uh, what the situation for sanctuary seekers is like um, and also just creating fun opportunities for people to get involved with the arts and this project and I guess more broadly having to adapt in the pandemic and not being able to tour theatre um, or to present in live spaces is just our ability to engage completely new audiences and people that we couldn't reach before and the ways that we can really make sure that it's as accessible as we can be uh, because there's there's just like with this project there, there are different versions depending on how you want or need to experience this project whereas in theatre in that room 
there's many versions of making sure work is accessible but this just seems to open up entirely we can just really tailor it and that's make that's just really making in in the long term even when we're not necessarily making a an audio walk that just has to be priority from now on is that the same for the herd ruby yeah i suppose just from the back of what rose is saying there i was just thinking about um yeah the sort of wraparound is a horrible word i don't really, don't really it sounds really weird and so wraparound is what a term we use to mean things like um after show packs or like you know workshops around a show as opposed to just the the piece itself but it's something that at the head we've been thinking a lot about before the pandemic about how you introduce a story or work with a with a group of people before you make a piece of work and how you kind of yeah start that process before the show happens um, and then also what happens afterwards but I think this is just kind of unlocked lots of other ways of doing that on like maybe it's about making you know recorded footage or audio pieces afterwards or activity packs that you can do you know and um, there's like lots of different opportunities there but I've also just learned like really silly skills like captioning and uh, editing videos <laughs> and um, and other little things like that and and yeah stuff that and even like so, like exercises on zoom and things like that and like I wonder how I wonder if, if when we go back to when the world opens up a bit more and things a bit more normal how we will will we still do some online options for people because actually maybe people they find it easier to engage when they don't have to travel and they don't have to leave the house you know there might be something about blended a blended future online and offline does feel like we're not just going to go back it's like a lot of these things will sit stay with us uh, for a long time and um, and that'll be that'll be really good so that that's interesting actually in terms of um the feedback you receive uh, particularly the data you receive when you perform you know, ordinarily your funders will be asking how many people turned up to the event you're not necessarily going to know are you how many people have downloaded the piece and how many people have engaged it and shared it, that sort of thing. How important is that sort of data to you? Or are you going to miss out? So because it's um, run through a website, we will be able to see how many people click on and play it. And we'll be able to see how many people choose the caption version in Arabic or choose the English website version or the Arabic podcast version. So it's, it will be really helpful for us to see in which ways did our audience choose to engage with it. And we've got plans for, we've always talked about this as phase one and that we want to develop it. And something that we also hope happens is that from those um, activity packs, we would love children to like design the characters as they imagine them and share them with us. And that will hopefully feed into something that could potentially feel more in person uh, on phase two. Uh, there's also, um, through all the research on this, we were looking at apps that kind of geotag and you can really tailor uh, the experience to a specific place. And that would help us also in terms of where did you choose to do this story walk? What is the park that you felt most comfortable to do it in? Uh, being a theatre company of Sanctuary is we're always looking at what are the places where Sanctuary Seekers feel comfortable because it's not always the theatre and so to to have like the actual uh, data on which locations they specifically choose is going to be really useful for us in terms of tailoring where we take our work to to be with them directly going forward. I want to ask each of you about um, any inspiration that you've found over the last 12 months. 
Have you come across any other good examples of creative practice that is responding to the pandemic and its lockdowns? That might be other theatre companies, it might be the way comedians have presented themselves or, or whatever, you know, think quite broadly. Have you got any examples of good practice that you'd like to share? So, Ruby. It's a good practice. Um, the thing I saw, the most recent thing I've seen, I'll just tell you about that because that came to mind uh, straight away when you were asking that question, um, was a show called The Origin of Carmen Power. So it was a show that was um, a un- the Unicorn Theatre make work for, is a building, a theatre venue in London, but it, they make work specifically for younger audiences um, and big fans of what they do. But they, I think they've, they've hosted anyway, um, this, this artist called Toby Peach, who's been working with a 12-year-old girl called Carmen, who they're both Toby, who's a, a, an adult artist, professionalised. Both Toby and Carmen have, have been through cancer and survived cancer, and they've made a story about what they've, they've been through together. But it's this amazing, it's a website, and it's like a cartoon. And then each you click on each chapter, each like each adventure, each part of the story, and a video appears, and it's in Carmen's room. But the animation, uh, they've got this animation, and then this live piece is performed in the same space. Um, and I think we said before about that blended, that blended feeling of something that feels in somewhere live, but also is acknowledging that it is through a website as opposed to just filming a play and sticking it on. Really works and is really unique and beautiful, um, and is really playful and tells this really beautiful story. Um, and yeah, I think there's something about that when you really lean in to the form that you're working in. So that be that a website, be that a audio piece, whatever it is, and you allow that and bring your theatricality to that. I think really exciting things can happen. Rosie, what about yourself? Have you got any examples you'd like to share? Yeah, well, mine's really about um, the activism behind companies and and something that I think we've been able to hear more about because the bigger organisations have had to be less busy than they usually would be. But those like the, the companies, uh, for example, Curious Monkey, Maison Fu, who work with communities and um, create lots of different work with those communities that I think previously we were we were called we were understanding it as community theatre and that being something different to professional mm. theatre which drives me nuts um, and so it's really exciting that we're actually in a moment where though that type of work is the stuff that kept going and has been a lifeline to the people not only the artists but the people that they work with and that that kind of work is getting a lot more attention now and is really being understood as the the future of theatre is in who you're engaging and who's new to wanting to engage with the arts. And I'm really glad to see those like, activist companies that are so about the people uh, getting a bit more airtime. That's exciting. <laughs> that's such a good point, Rosie. Yeah, that's such a good point. Also, it's really interesting if you, like this, this stage, it's just like a theatre, the theatre newspaper for our industry they do a 100 list every year which is like the best celebrating the best artists supposedly obviously obviously that's a specific to who's judging it and so many different things but really interestingly yeah all all everyone was it was the community departments of buildings or or or, or, or companies who'd never been spotlighted before finally getting given that spotlight and it's really interesting when 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 literally the world stops everything changes you go like okay what are we about what is the point what is the point of this and the yeah. thing that's come back is like Rosie's saying is about people and making work that involves participants and, and people is the thing so hopefully that means it has more 
I'm just repeating what you said, Rosie, but I think it's so great. No, yeah, thank you. <laughs> really true. Evolution is coming. Hopefully, we hang on to that and don't just go, oh, we need to just make loads of money at the West End. That's what yeah. it is. Boring. <laughs> Let's see. Um, what about Firas? Have you um, consumed anything as a, an arts consumer over the last 12 months that you thought, wow, that was great, that was unexpected? To be honest, uh, except the part that I've been working with Rosie and Robbie and stuff, I, I really didn't have like the time to get watch anything else but i've been really inspired by the work they're doing and even like by the people who participate in uh, like the workshops honestly like i've learned a lot from them into in terms of like self self-confidence and how to deal with stress and depression and, like everything and that's happened had an, an impact in my life and i'm really thankful for all of them He's really bought into this, hasn't he? That's great. Oh, I remembered something about, le- you asked about learnings earlier. And yeah, yeah. Firaz has taught us something massive that I should have put this off my list, but I didn't. But um, Which is just about like translation and working. And so this project is multilingual and it's it's always been English and Arabic and it was in the workshops and it is going to be in its final outing. But I would have naively, having never worked in two languages before on a piece of two languages, I would naively thought that you could just bring a translator in at some point and then translate it and it would be the same. But we would not have been able to do this if Fraser hadn't been there since the beginning. Like there's been so many things when we were writing it that we had to ask and check in and Fraser's explaining that it's it, it's not just a simple case of make those words Arabic. <laughs> like the meaning completely changes and 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 so yeah, so many things about like style and 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 things about the difference of like I learned about Arabic, the different um obviously it's a vast language with loads of different um what's the word? Is it not what is what is it, dialect? How do we explain Fraser? What's the different accent from from a country to another because like there is 22 countries speaking arabic yeah yeah so you can't just do arabic like you've got, yeah. to, you've got to make it more all got their own version and the written and spoken are different but yeah we'd have just made we'd have been like made so many mistakes but obviously we're working with sbc so they already had us in their hands in that sense so we wouldn't have never have done that because <laughs> you've had that experience but i think yeah just that's something taken with me is like involve people from the absolute beginning to yeah. make it make sense. One of my uh, favourite stories from this whole making process was um, working with Firaz and trying to uh, make sure, because Firaz has put together like a general Arabic. So if you speak Egyptian Arabic or if you speak Syrian Arabic, you would still be able to engage with this. And the, the longer term plan is that we can have all of those different specific Arabics in this project. But in trying to make sure we got the right translation, Firaz was like, yeah, but if you put it like that, it's basically like an English person was speaking in Shakespeare's language. It just sounds so formal and like weird for you to, how art thou this afternoon? <laughs> like you just, you don't speak like that now. So we can't do it like that. This is fun. <laughs> Let's figure out more versions of this. Yeah, because sometimes like when you translate something from English into Arabic, into the formal Arabic, it sounds like it's a bit difficult to understand. And also it doesn't give the same meaning as the English version. So like I had to work on it and make it simple and easy for everyone to understand. And hopefully that will work. That's so the, ah, this, this sort of understanding the differences in the Arabic regions and dialects, that, that is obviously really important. But Ruby and Rosie, have you had in mind the differences uh, in audiences between... Bradford and Hull? It's a really good question. Um, so originally I said it was meant to be just Bradford, so we were really focused on that. But obviously our participants are not, they're kind of from all over the world. Like it's, <laughs> they're based in a place and they're still very much from Bradford. But um, but their place became a little bit less important to us. It became a little bit irrelevant. And we kind of deliberately haven't referenced it in the piece. 
because what we have is our central character is new to a place but we do have we don't define where that place is or where they've come from because it does and what's great about the result of that as we've been talking about is the feeling of being new is universal like it might be being new to a new school it might be yeah moving to a new town it might be moving country it might be moving across the world but that feeling is the same feeling and it's about us trying to build that understanding and build that being in someone else's shoes and figuring out that what must it be like to be in a new place and how does that feel? And actually, maybe it's not that different. Maybe we're not that far apart, even though we have different, you know, come from a different country, but we can all kind of relate to that, so that fit sensation. So, so this is why it's a piece, this is a piece for, it's hard to say a piece for everybody. Obviously, it is fundamentally made for families from the sanctuary seeking community. They have made it and it's for them. But equally, I think it opens up and connects to anybody, very English-born, English-speaking people could, can enjoy it too because of that universality I think yeah and we were able to broaden out like as we went along making it and talking to artists and venues about it that like, people were getting really excited about it so you know we were able to connect in with Oldham Coliseum and cast in Doncaster and and everybody's thinking well we know we've got lots of people that would be interested in this kind of thing and there's there's options available for all of our audiences so it's been lovely also to be able to cater to different places around the UK. You know, for maybe the last decade, I've been saying I don't want to go to the theatre to watch cinema. I don't want to go to the cinema to watch streamed theatre. I don't want to uh, go to a music venue to watch a stand-up comedian. You know, I've always wanted uh, you know, the right artist in the right venue at the right time. But what you've told us over the last half an hour or so is that it's great to mix all these things up. And this has sort of been forced on us over the last 12 months. But actually, maybe some great things are going to come out of it. And I think that also just means that the who who's going to engage and who's going to get excited about the type of work that's out there and feel comfortable like we really don't want people to feel like, oh, well, I'd like to do something like that, but I don't know, that building, I, I, I'm not supposed to be in that building. And there is, we, we really do have an issue with that in our industry and we are locking lots of people out. So this is a total gift for anybody in the industry right now to take work to your audiences. Don't wait for them to come to you because... We've got so many opportunities to figure out new ways and, and, and tailor to their interests and their comfort zones. Uh, I, I think it's brilliant. So, do you fancy a walk in the park? Check out the show notes to find links to the Hidden Winter audio adventure and all related resources. You've been listening to me, Jerome Whittingham, and my guests from The Herd and Stand and Be Counted. Until next time, bye for now.